Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. All right, team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera, and today we have Dara Chike Obi with us today. Did I nail that name? Yeah, you nailed it. Perfect. That's what I'm talking about. All right. I this is this uh I'm so stoked. We were just huddling before the episode, just kind of going, you know, just kind of warming up here. And uh I was telling Dara, I was like, I'm I'm very excited about this episode. She's got a ton of insight. Let me just tell you a little bit about Dara here. Dara, fill any gaps that I got, but I'm gonna just fill you in a little bit about who y'all gonna listen here today. It's got some amazing, I mean, what she's working on today with Grio Baby is awesome. But if she didn't do any of that, you would be really impressed with what she's done so far. You are way too kind already. No, uh-uh, it's the truth. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not giving you enough justice here, but so here we go. So Dara is a first-generation Nigerian. She actually is formally trained. I mean, even after her time at Penn State, she went to UT Law, and now it's kind of a hardcore Longhorn because after doing mm-hmm. UT Law, then she did even more pain in education, more power <laughs> to you by going to business school in Macomb. So she's just a double whammy. She's one of those... When you hear about when I hear about people who do both, I'm like more power to you. You just love that pain. And after doing all that and spending a lot of time, you know, primarily in the oil and gas business and dealing primarily with development and different kind of land acquisitions and being very kind of a unique, uh, spending some unique time within that industry, this is when she kind of decided to pursue her entrepreneurial kind of path and journey which really is kind of the essence I think we're going to talk about today on how she came to develop Grio Baby, which has got an incredible story. But the part that I know you're most you know, proud about and the thing that I actually find you're, out of all the background, all that horsepower we just talked about, I'm really stoked about the fact that your family dynamic growing up. I mean, you grew up with four siblings, right? All boys house. That's you know. Correct. Father primarily raised you because you know, I know you took mom passed away. And so there's, I know there's an incredible amount of connective tissue that you were able to build there and just kind of a different way and a perspective that you kind of learned about life. So I want to dive into that, but just giving everybody and the listeners just a preview. So we're going to talk about Dara the person and kind of how somebody who goes from that much horsepower gets into this entrepreneurial, you know, very gritty swagger kind of lifestyle from the corporate world. But in addition to that, we're going to talk a little bit about the dynamics on how somebody is awesome. You know, somebody goes from having that high horsepower life and maintains that level while also being this really good, badass mom who's also out there raising her kiddo and being a great person, you know, in her family and moving through that entire dance. So I'm really looking forward to you describing not only what you're building with Grio Baby, but the dynamics that's kind of led you to be the person you are today. So for our listeners out there, this is an action pack episode. So everybody just get ready and let's dive into it. Before we dive into, I usually like to kick these off with like a place, you know, on something that, uh, on something that you really, really, before we, what I'd like to go into is your family dynamic. Cause that's something mm-hmm. that I think is a critical part. But before that, I'd like to just kind of go into a little bit of what was a moment in your life that you felt like, Hey man, I really kind of ran into a wall or made kind of a big mistake or had a huge lesson learned. And it kind of humanized your experience as a professional or as a personal, you know, type situation that kind of moved you through your life. Do you have any of those moments? I mean, with your rap sheet, you never know it. <laughs> yes, I, I definitely do have one of those moments. And I will preface it with saying that it wasn't 
or it isn't necessarily a mistake as much as it is a lesson learned. After I graduated from Penn State, I immediately went to law school. Um, I didn't take any time off. And to be honest, the major driver was the fact that that's just what you do as a Nigerian. You're either a lawyer, a doctor, or an engineer, and you don't take any breaks until you finish. And I would say one of, it started off as a regret not taking that break because I felt as though I probably wouldn't have gone into law if I went into the workforce and got an understanding of what real life is about. But I will say, because I went straight to law school, I ended up working in the oil and gas industry for 10 years. And it was that life experience, the goods, the bads, the highs, the lows that really like forced me or advocated for me to go to business school. And when I approached that secondary education later in life, it was just a different perspective. I was so much wiser. I knew what I wanted to get out of it, or I knew what I didn't want to fall trapped, uh, didn't want to fall into as far as like, you know, the grading trap and all that. Um, so yeah, lessons learned, experience is just as important as drive and learning, learning through experience can be it's a very potent formula. No doubt. So would you yeah. say that, so if you were to do it over again or offer advice to somebody who is like that undergrad and then about to like go hit law school, would you tell yeah. them, hey, go spend some time going doing something else? Or would you say it depends? I would say it depends. Um, and actually the majority of people who did enroll in law school had one to two year gap. So oh, they worked, for, yeah, it's actually more rare for people to go straight into, you know, the graduate program. Um, if people were to ask me to say uh, today, if they should go to law school, I would ask them, what exactly do you want to get out of it? And if you're not sure, maybe take a year off. That's interesting. So like, mm -hmm. while on this subject, what was the reason? So I, what was the reason you went to law? I know that's kind of a culturally, hey, look, you got to do one of these yeah. things. Or you just like... All right, engineering and the other one didn't sound interesting or, or did you love law? Like, what was the reason you picked law? You know, it's funny. Um, I, I make a lot of major decisions based on what I don't want to do. Um, I didn't want to take an entrance, uh, entrance exam that was very heavy in math. Um, I always wanted to make sure that if, you know, in the worst case scenario, I'd be able to feed myself and or my future family. Um, so it was really just by process of elimination. And then also you're speaking to someone who chose their college based on U.S. news rankings. As long as it was tier one, that's where I sent my applications. So um, it was a very cut and dry process. Um, and I wouldn't recommend that for everyone. It's amazing, actually. I mean, mm. the amount of just me knowing you, I wish I could put like, that brain chip in everybody's listeners brain <laughs> right now, because like, it, that makes total sense. Like the Dara, mm. I know as much as you're just like one of the easiest persons to talk and be around that level of methodical kind of yes. and choosing what you don't want to do. That's incredibly powerful, because I do mm -hmm. think some folks get kind of mired by well, I could do this, I could do that. And sometimes you realize there's no really great I could do, but there's definitely some things you don't want to do. Absolutely. And there, you know, and there were times when I had to make a decision because if I didn't, I would be in the same place that I absolutely do not like being in. So for instance, my major decision to go back to business school, I had just had a baby two, three months prior, but I was also at a job that I didn't love. I was in the middle of a career that I saw myself 
starting to detest, let's just be honest. Um, so it was really a now or never moment. I felt as if I didn't have a choice, even though I did. Um, but it was, you can either stay in the position that you're in and you know you're unhappy or try something different. And that was really the main driver. Do you think the out of, when did you feel in the 10 years of doing what you were doing? When did you start to get an inkling within the, you know, within the oil gas business without, within being, you know, the traditional attorney, mm -hmm. when did that become something you were like, mm, need to do something different. It's becoming one of the things I don't want to do. Ah, very interesting. So three things kind of happened within a year. Um, so one of the major things was moving back to Austin after I graduated from law school in 08. I moved back to my hometown in Houston, met my husband, we got married, and then we moved back in 2013. Um, as you can imagine, the oil and gas industry is not as robust here in Austin as it is over there. And the economy here is largely driven by the tech industry. Um, I just interfaced with many more young entrepreneurs. So I was introduced to a completely different way of life, even though I was still in the same state. The second thing is my husband, he's a very busy surgeon. And throughout the four or five years we were living here, he just kept getting more excited about growing into his profession. He was getting more excited about his patients, the techniques that he was working on. I mean, I just saw him grow as a man. And then finally I became pregnant. And there was something inside of me that was like, if I have a baby while I'm still working for this company, I started thinking about the golden handcuffs. I don't know why, but my thought was, if I get, to, I don't know, hooked on their health insurance, it'll be harder for me to leave if my whole family is so plugged in. Granted, that's a, a doomsday scenario, but I felt like everybody was just getting better in moving forward. I didn't necessarily believe in the time that I was investing away from my family. You have to think about it. If you spend more time at work than you do, or I spent more time at work than I did with my husband and my brand new baby. And one of the things that happened was we wanted to go on a family vacation and I had to submit a request, even though we had, you know, lengthy uh, paid time off yeah. um but it was just the idea of asking somebody can I go on vacation with my family can I spend time with my family that I barely see as it is um it didn't sit right with me and those three things combined all in a year to two span was all right I needed to do something drastic it's so freaking awesome like the amount of guts that it takes to, you know some folks sit with that like for 30 years like, uh, you know what I mean? That level yeah. of like, trying to make that call. I think it's incredible to see that kind of trifecta of things occurring and saying, yep, that's enough data for me to say I need to do something better. And I know it wasn't like completely data driven. You probably felt it intuitively, but yeah. just to be able to see that so clearly, it's kind of amazing and do it with so much guts. Well, you know, I will have to say also, um, based on my background, because I was raised, I'm the youngest of five kids and the only girl. Um, my mother passed when I was six. So I was raised by my dad. So I was essentially raised in a Nigerian frat house. Um, so my perspective, as far as always seeing the outside world and women in it, it was almost from a male perspective in the weirdest way. And as I got older, and this just sounds terrible, but you also have to realize like I'm a child in the 90s, but whenever there were divorces or whenever there were like large school events that we would attend with the families or if there was ever a family dynamic in which 
the woman or the wife was paid against the husband, I felt as if the woman always came up on the short end of the stick. Um, I, it's hard for me to explain, but it just always felt harder on so-and-so's mom than it did on so-and-so's dad. And that scared me. And I tried to think, okay, what do I notice that's different? I noticed that, you know, the dads, and I, again, I'm just speaking in general terms, yeah. um, but the fathers were out there, you know, working on their careers and, you know, getting these hobbies with their colleagues and friends, or it just the progression never stopped. Mm -hmm. And whereas with my situation or as with the mothers that I saw, you know, when you put everything into your family, they eventually grow up and then they leave. And so just kind of thinking about that as I became a mother, as I became what I deemed to be like a woman who runs the household and all that, I just, I realized I can't put everything into nurturing my husband and my child and not leaving anything for myself. I love it, man. And so how do you, how do you describe the dynamic? I'm very curious about the way you grew up. You just called it a Nigerian frat house, which I think is <laughs> But what was that? Like, what are the things you loved about it? What were the things that you were found that was tough about growing up in that environment? Mm -hmm. um, I would say there were always people around. And with my brothers, um, I, you know, I just learned a lot. Um, confrontation doesn't always have to mean conflict. Um, things that were terrible don't always have well, many times they don't have anything to do with you. Um, you're, you could just essentially be like a victim of circumstance, right? So not to take everything personally. Um, you know, there was just so much love. There is so much love. We're close to this day. And it, it was this, where I go, you go. My brothers always had to watch me so much so that, you know, when they're, when the two oldest ones are 13, 14, and going to the mall was still a Thing. Like they'd gather their friends that were girls and they say, okay, my sister has to come. So I mean, it was just a given. And they all kind of, you know, realized that it, it was a group. We move as a unit. Uh, our friends are friends with each other. Whenever I go to a party, my brothers would come or, you know, we were invited to a wedding in Cabo and we were just going to make it a family trip. And people just know the Magnus Lawson kids um, at least expect one to two of them, even if you just invited one. Incredible. So, how, you know, from uh, growing up around uh, so many boys, did you find you said something there about uh, confrontation, which I think is mm -hmm. incredible. I think it's something that um, I've seen you do well. You're a lot, in, and I think a lot of like, oh, it might be a lawyer in her. But I actually think it must be, I'm making a conjecture here, but like it must be the fact that growing up around, I mean, I have a, I have a brother. So, like, you know, we, we are, we can. We face it right away. We'll fight each other for a little bit, wrestle, whatever. And then we're good and we're grabbing a sandwich, right? So like, is that is that kind of what you saw and what kind of made you think, oh, maybe it's okay to just be very upfront about something that bothers That's you? That's exactly what it is. Um, I remember three of us, because you know, when a big family, it's not just one-on-one, -on -one, it's like one-on-two or three-on-four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The dynamics change all the time. But I remember I was telling my dad who had just gotten home from a long day at work and I was fighting with two or three of my brothers. I was so upset and I was like, oh, they did this, this and this and I'm not talking to them. And he looked at me and he was like, what are you gonna do? They're your brothers, you have no other family. <laughs> he said, where are you gonna go? And that was the end of it. He didn't wanna hear this crap. He wasn't in the mood. He was like, listen, you can complain all you want but that's your family, get over it. And it's true, it's true. <laughs> so Y'all are pretty close still today. 
We are very close. They're extremely supportive. They were my bridesmaids. I mean, they're my best friends, truly. This is, uh, this is I mean, are they all in Texas still or did they all kind of go their own ways? All but one is in, are in Houston. Um, the one in, is in Minneapolis and I'm working on getting him and his young family here. <laughs> it's part of a two to three year plan. <laughs> I'm a long-term thinker. <laughs> I dig it. And yeah. I would love to actually hear about your dad a little bit. Like what was mm-hmm. his, you know, what was his dynamic like, especially having to carry that torch for the family here, you know, kind of solo after a while. What did you see about him that you kind of looked up to or found, you know, found they kind of made a part of who you are now as Dara, the professional, the mother, you know, so on and so forth. He definitely walked it like he talked it. Whatever lesson he was trying to impart on us, uh, he was a a living, breathing embodiment of it. And he was always transparent with said life lessons and they were constant. I mean, I remember I left the lights on in a bathroom overnight and he's like do you have do you have any idea how much this costs and I was like actually no I don't know like fifty dollars <laughs> he brought me the bill of the utilities so I can see it you know not so not for me to like truly have an understanding of like how much it costs but just so you know like these things every little dollar matters you know leaving the lights on like somebody has to pay for it um even something as simple as like when you choose your partner you know, just make sure you look at their family because whoever you marry, you are marrying their family. And if you have kids, you know, genetically, you will be absorbing the good and the bad. So, I mean, these constant life lessons from as long as I can remember. And that's kind of how I raise my son. I'm constantly, constantly trying to bombard him with some sort of, I don't know, growing, you know, I don't know, growing advice. And I know some of it will stick. Some of it will stick. His internal voice, I mean, I know my words will be a part of it. And that's the most important. And I got that from my dad. I guarantee you it will stick with him. He, yep. There are things in my own life that it's all timing. And it's all there in this library. And it doesn't make sense till it does. I mean, I remember the other day I walked out and was like, that's what she meant. My mom, like, yeah. it was one of those, like, I got it now. But that wasn't ready for me until I reached a certain age and time and a certain trial in my life where that was going to be necessary. But so I think you doing your thing is going to matter. But I do think it does sometimes not right away. I'm sure it's. Oh, it's all about timing. (laughs) Especially my my biggest concern is when Ari, that's my son, when he has like you know his group of guy friends, and I'm like, don't listen to your guy friends. (laughs) (laughs) Trust your gut. (laughs) Let me develop this gut real quick before you run out into the world. So I actually, that's something that's really cool. I think it's a really good parlay, like your intuition. I do find you as somebody. So I've noticed that you are somebody who has got a good balance between intuition and regiment. And so in data, like being somebody who's come from, you know, the law world and, and, you know, having things a little more black and white, you know, pun intended there. How do you, how do you balance or how do you decide which gets the priority? Like, especially in the decisions you make from day to day, do you typically go with your gut and intuition on things, despite the fact that you're like hardcore classically trained to kind of see it a little more objectively? Like, what is that kind of thought process? That's interesting. I would say um, originally it was go with your gut no matter what. 
Um, and then I got married and I realized that I'm in a partnership and I can't do that. Um, so I have opened up my observation period um, where I still have a very small circle, like trusted confidants, right? My husband is one of them, my brothers, my dad, my mother-in-law, people that know me, love me and support me. And I get advice from them and then I act. Um, but I would say 95% of the time, it's in line with my instinct. And so that almost makes me a little bit more confident to, to act quickly because everybody who knows and loves me and thinks objectively outside of how I think, uh, it, it, it's usually in line. So um, I trust myself and I trust my people. And I think that's what's most important. Yeah. The people part is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. How did you, so obviously your husband, I know that like, that's an automatic, it sounds like a, a natural progression to say like yes. that's in the circle. How do you choose? Let me back up and kind of paint some context, especially for our listeners. I'm a firm believer in that as well. Like your trusted mm -hmm. circle, I think it gets a bad rap. Like everybody thinks it's this kind of like, you know, Hey, Oh, it's, it, you know, folks are in, whether in business or even in politics and all this weird stuff, mm -hmm. like, Oh, they're making all these decisions within that Thai group. And, you know, that just seems wrong to do it that way, mm -hmm. as opposed to making it for the world to kind of vote on how you're going to do things where I would say that, yes, that could go wrong, but I have found that the best people in the world where it comes to their success and their peace and happiness typically have a really strong central part of that nucleus nucleus. Yeah. And, um, and they generally support those decisions very well. So my question to you is mm -hmm. how have you kind of curated those folks over the years? Like what advice would you give to folks that are looking at, yeah, you know what? I don't really have, I mean, I got my husband or I got my wife and that's good, but it would be great to have three or four more folks. But I feel like either people are gossipy or they're just spending too mm -hmm. much time or I'm not talking to the right people. And so how would, like, how have you kind of curated that group for yourself and mm -hmm. how have you kind of continued to kind of nurture that relationship with them? That's interesting. So I would say initially that group um, consisted of my family members uh, as I became a mom. Um, that's when I really, really understood the power of female relationships, how important they were, not just for my sanity, but for my growth. Um, so as far as adding additional people to the circle, a lot of them, especially um, the moms, they were around my age and they were having the same kind of transition period uh, as I was in, right? So one of my closest new adult friends, uh, she is, well, she actually owns multiple businesses. Um, she is a stepmom to two kids. She has two kids of her own and she's just energetic and vibrant and we're just kind of on the same page right now with our goals and what we want out of life but we couldn't be more opposite politically uh how we look but we still are able to meet in the middle and just encourage each other um and i think maybe that's the most important thing to say um when you add people into your into your group look for people who are experiencing the same thing as you versus those that look like you or those that are in your neighborhood, right? Um, some great friends that I added were from business school, like Joseph, you know? I mean, <laughs> but truly like-minded people are experiencing the same thing you have or have already gone through it. And when you're not focused on like what they look like or can I connect with them on superficial things, I think that's when you find your people. 
Oh, so great. Yeah, you're right. Like connecting with folks almost spiritually and figuring out like what their intent in life is. Because you yes. get, it sounds like you're getting, you're definitely going to get an honest broker who's like, because if you get a bunch of people who look, talk, walk like you, then you end up getting this group think. And then it's actually like, you might as well just yes. ask the wall what you think, because there's no new advice there. Um, and I don't know if it's from your experience as well, but I agree with you. I think my gut usually based, my instincts usually match ultimately what folks will support me on within that group with some caveats. They usually say yes. you're on it, right? But don't forget this or remember when you did this, you that was your blind spot. So just remember it, but I think you'll be successful in this endeavor. I think your gut's right. So you want that push and pull. You definitely don't want the people who's like, yeah, keep going off the cliff. Sounds great. You know, this is a bunch of fun, <laughs> right? Yeah, whatever works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. What you It makes it so much easier to receive constructive criticism and to actually apply it to move your plan or your goals or your relationship with them forward. Um, I, that's very important. And I'm glad you touched on that. Just being open to feedback um, that's contrary to your own, you know, people can still support you and mm -hmm. deliver that. Yeah, no, I, I, it's incredibly important. I think, I know we'll get into Grio baby a little bit, but how important was that when you were looking for your co-founder? Like I actually find this is not only your mm -hmm. internal circle, but I find that partnerships can be tricky and, you know, mm -hmm. especially especially in your case where y'all didn't like grow up together and all that stuff. Like there sometimes is that like, Hey, spiritual connection where you just know it. Um, but I'm curious from your perspective specifically with, is it Lydia is your, is that your, yes. your so your co-founder, like, how did you all decide this is a, forget what we're building. This mm -hmm. is just a good idea for us to work together. Like, how'd you know that? That's funny. Cause it also goes back to experience. Um, I met Lydia through our hairdresser. There is no way, really. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> there are very few um, really great black salons here, and uh, Kara with Me Care, she gathers a lot of black professionals to her salon. Lydia and I, we have kids that are literally three to four weeks apart, so her twins were in the NICU for a few months, um, followed by a year of quarantine. Lydia is also a professor at the University of Texas. She runs a lab of over 20 PhD chemical engineering candidates. She also teaches chemical engineering. She's writing research grants, but all of these amazing academic career achievements are happening at a very difficult time when she's trying to nurture and develop her babies. So when I was complaining about the lack of products that were offered to really help us, not just as new moms, but as you know, busy women, uh, she was looking for the same thing. She was actually developing the same thing for her twins. She used her engineering mind to create solutions that weren't on the market. Um, so when our hairdresser introduced us, I mean, it was truly an instant connection. Um, we laid out <laughs> what are our skills, what do we have to offer, and what can we make together? What do we care about? And baby products, you know, parenting, the caretaking journey, these are the things that really um, sustained our passion and continue to stay, sustain it. Um, Lydia is Dominican. So she's also very, very family oriented. Her mother and her brother moved here with her when she was nine. Her father had to stay back for work purposes. 
Um, but that same family dynamic, when we both became moms, it was an all hands on deck situation. Um, when our family came in, it wasn't just to, you know, ooh and off the baby, it was to help us. It was to yeah. cook our dinner, you know, like clean the house, you know, take the baby. I mean, it was truly worth it. here, not just a luxury, yes. right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and we wanted to get that message out and create products that support that because that's what we were going for. We, we both felt there was a lot, but it all goes back to experience. Like I said, going back to, you know, the black hairdresser and, you know, being moms at the same time and, you know, finding parenting hard, but also being professional women, all of these things matter, right? Yeah. So y'all were literally fighting the same fight, like in your own yes. world. And so it just made a whole lot of sense to kind of team up and say, I, I literally see you for what you are. I mean, this makes a hundred yes. sense. Yes. That's incredible. And I will say one of the beautiful things about it is when you find that co-founder and you guys are just 100% aligned on the end goal, you can physically, mentally, and emotionally see this product getting better as you both add to it. I mean, when I say, you know, if you think about like the ghost, uh, that famous ghost scene where Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, like, you know, it's not that romantic, but like, <laughs> let's say I'm on one side and she's the opposite side, but like we are truly like creating something beautiful here um, without us really knowing, knowing each other. Like we got to know each other through our passion. Um, and it's been amazing, truly. I can't, I mean, this is, I mean, I think the, so the, the one-on-one lesson on the co-foundership is not only finding, you know, the, the intent and the spirits that are kind of the same, <clears throat> but do y'all like, it seems to me that y'all, yes, you guys have some very specific domain knowledge too, that's probably bringing to the fight for sure, uh, or bringing to this effort, but do y'all feel like there's this, is it more of this kind of, um, the best way I can kind of think of it is like this dance where y'all are constantly trading who's leading, or do you find that the roles are very specific in the endeavor of the business? Or do you find like that y'all share a lot of overlap in the ways that you're kind of getting Grio baby going? Um, I would say we share, well, let me rephrase that. So we definitely, Lydia's product, um, obviously she's our CTO and she's also our CFO. Uh, she does a ton of government projects. And so she manages that entire, entire financial, yeah. you know, project management wonderfully. Um, I'm the CEO, so I'm working on business development and all these things. But as you know, um, in the beginning, these things happen sometimes overlapping. Sometimes you really just need to focus on the market research and the marketing, and that's my job. Now that we're in manufacturing and we're doing like the quality assurance testing, like Lydia is much more involved. Um, so it's really just going back and forth, sometimes collaborating together when the other is really stressed out. Um, I think it is important to have maybe not clear roles, but identify clear strengths. So they know, okay, this is what's happening. You know, I'm going to help you, but I expect you, or, you know, they can expect me or whatever, um, to kind of lead this, lead us out of this, you know, debacle or situation because these are your strengths right um but that doesn't mean that it's your job it's both of our jobs oh it's incredibly profound i think that's something that so you had a good balance between yes we kind of need to help each other when like all hands on deck if like we're about to launch a product you're going to be dipping into making sure that's successful and whatever but i think you're right i think this is where you get some of the staleness and great ideas in new business when 
you really haven't clearly identified what those strengths are. And so yeah. you're all just kind of like, so who's got the ball or like who's pushing this thing forward? Because you kind of have these two draft horses kind of just lollygagging along. No, I, it's, you're absolutely right about having that structure. I think for our listeners out there, I think that's some of the, I call it a bad rep that entrepreneurship has, which just it can seem a little bit clubhouse-ish and just really happy-go-lucky all the time. Mm-hmm. And yep, my five co-founders were really just having a good time, but you're wondering why, like, why haven't y'all made any progress? And likely it's because no one has really sat down and said when, especially when the bad stuff happens or when the hard stuff happens, like who's got the ball on this, right? Because that's what happens, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, once you enter that manufacturing phase, I mean, so many things happen. Um, And you just don't always have time to have a meeting and get perfectly aligned. Somebody needs to put out this fire immediately. Um, so just having those pre-conversations before, it saves so much money, time, effort, emotions. Um, and again, it goes back to confrontation doesn't always mean conflict. Yeah, no, I dig it. So kind of using this as a way, you, uh, you and Lydia especially, I think is a cool way to mm-hmm. kind of segue into something that I'm personally very fascinated about because, you know, I have... Um, I have a powerhouse of a wife. I mean, she is somebody she is awesome. who's awesome and it just rock solid. And I can't see a world where she isn't also a mom and somebody who's crushing down the door of her career. Like if anything, hopefully even more fueled mm-hmm. where one thing that I am curious about though, that doesn't always seem to be the narrative that always, it, it's really in, in a lot of, and I would say that I think a lot of gals will immediately kind of vote themselves off the Island and say, well, family came along, I'm just going to put all the dreams and stuff on the side because I don't think those things are, you know, something that can kind of harmonize together. How have you broken that mold? Because I don't see you slowing down. I'm sure in the background, you've had to make adjustments and do some things. But how have you really been able to figure out how to create this kind of really great harmonic way of just being able to be a mom that I know lives up to your standard and expectation and that, you know, your son deserves, but at the same time, be somebody who you can look back on when you're older and say, I gave it all I got and I'm proud of what I built. Well, and I think that's, you ended it just how I think. I always look in the long term. What are my actions do, the actions that I conduct today, how is it going to affect me in a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years? And when I had Ari, uh, I, Obviously, if I thought about the short time, it would not be in either of our best interests for me to go back to school. But my thought process was, okay, he's very young. Uh, you know, he there's very few things that he needs. Uh, I know I will give him more than the bare minimum. Um, so, you know, right now, I'm not, I personally didn't think I was being the best mom I could be, but I knew I was a good enough mom. And while I was focusing on school, I knew he was getting everything he needed and more. So I would say it's not necessarily a harmony, uh, a harmonious type situation as much as it is you will make time for the things that are important for you. um, And you won't be able to juggle them seamlessly all at once. Sometimes you're just gonna have to focus on my career or I'm gonna focus on the baby and then my career or our marriage or my partnership, my friends, all of these things, uh, only one ball can be in the air, right? The, yeah. the other two, yeah, before you toss it up, you have to catch that other one, right? Um, so I would say that's one thing. The second thing is, I mean, support, support from, if not your partner, 
your family, whoever lives in your house. Let me just say that you cannot do it alone. alone. Your wife won't be able to do it alone, but I already know you have the mindset of I'm all in whatever you want to do. So many women don't have that same support, especially when the children are young because they are the primary caretaker. Joseph, sometimes you feel like this will never end. You don't want it to, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a saying with, um, when you have a young child, they say uh, the days go by slowly, but the years go by quickly. Uh -huh. And I will not forget that first year. Every single day was very, very, very long. Um, but when I had my husband to send me a quick test, text saying like, good luck. Or he, uh, one of the things that he did, and I will always remember this, he completely redid his schedule to make sure that he was home on class nights because it was very important for us that Ari saw one of our faces every morning and every night. At the time we had a nanny. Um, so we said we would never let the nanny put him to bed. And, you know, he, he's a busy physician and he yeah. stopped surgeries just to be home to do that. So that's the kind of support that I'm talking about, not just cheerleading, but picking up the household duties or the other responsibilities or obligations that I have that that just really made it doable um yeah, so, no, yeah. I, I think it's an incredible point you make about your partnership within you know you and your husband i guess and you you know already highlighted that y'all are both hard-hitting professionals and so mm -hmm. it's i think it's very easy to make the you know make a mathematical decision that all right yes. forget it no you know but y'all haven't let up that's the other thing that i realized so what you're if i'm hearing you right you're saying you don't have to like you don't don't shelf it just maybe throttle up or throttle down based yes. on where you're at but keep some momentum in that dream otherwise it's going to be very hard to pick up right is that kind of what i'm picking yes, up yes that is exactly what i'm saying just one foot in front of the other you don't always have to sprint sometimes it's going to be a crawl sometimes yeah. it's going to be a tiptoe but you will move further than you were the day before and the day before absolutely throttle up throttle down but progress yeah no i think it's incredible i think for a lot of folks out there that are listening they're probably thinking it's such a duh after you say that a lot of folks mm -hmm. would you know but i do think we're all we're kind of a society of all or nothing right it's like mm -hmm. if it's not going to be perfectly the way that i want it to be you know from a business perspective how my life looks so on and so forth then i'm just not going to do it at all and what you realize yeah. is that even an inch every day versus the yard that you would have gained if you did it full time, you still way further along when you can, because Ari at some point is going to be in grade school doing his thing. And now you got some time and now you're yeah. like, well, it would have been nice not to start from scratch right now. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now I'm kind of used to our schedule, you know, uh, it would have been harder now that I think about it, spending time away from him because he's older, he's more aware. So he's like, where are you going? You know, he's very <laughs> communicative. Um, so yeah, it's just never, the stars aren't always going to align. And in fact, most of the time they don't. And just not being afraid of that, I would say is the biggest, biggest piece of advice to women, especially who, who worry about how starting a family could affect their dreams and their goals. Yeah. So for those that are like sitting there right now, you know, especially the women out there listening, do you think, like, what advice would you give them if they're sitting there right now? Maybe they hadn't even started anything, but they know they want to, right? They're like, mm -hmm. 
I've always wanted to do this, or I think I at least always wanted to kind of be in more of a professional setting. Um, just had a little, so I don't know. Like, what advice would you give them to just get going? Like, how would you? And I mean, I don't know if you have any personal stories of that because it seems like you've been on the run for a while doing your thing. <laughs> so, for you, you were almost like running, fitting yeah. in a baby, you know, like that's yeah. how it works. Like, what's next? <laughs> Those at a standstill, right? I say standstill, that's not, but you know what I mean? Those that are just like, shoot, I haven't thought about professional stuff for 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. How do you get started? Like, what would you tell them? Um, so I would say the great thing about living in today's world is that you have access to the internet and there are so many communities of like-minded individuals that you can connect with. And I'm talking outside of social media. I'm referring to, you know, I don't know, whatever you're interested in. If you want to start, I don't know, making water bottles, you know, like moms who make water bottles or, you know, women yeah. who are into coding, you know, no longer do you have to travel to California or sign up for these super expensive courses. I mean, you, you can find them online. Um, for me personally, when I was thinking about entrepreneurship, we had already started uh, our program at McCombs. I thought I wanted to do marketing and I really didn't have a clue what to do next. So I found the soonest uh coffee meetup because you know in austin there's tons of like tech meetups and Always, entrepreneurs. Yeah. yeah and i just signed up for one and i went sight unseen and i just listened to founder stories and that was literally how i got started oh, you just have nice. to start i didn't have anyone to talk to i didn't make an appointment with the counselor i just went to a coffee meetup for founders that's the thing that, that will bug me about folks they're like well you know i don't I have no background in it. Okay. Mm -hmm. We'll go figure out how to get it back. Like everybody starts, we always forget. We all start from zero. Like somebody who has a background in it at one point had no background in it. And so like, yep. you have to start somewhere. I think it's a bit of pride that gets in our way where it's, you know, I'm 30 something years old. I'm 40 something years old. You know, there's no way I'm going to go sit down with a bunch of folks who are probably, yeah, in their early twenties, but mm -hmm or not, who cares, right? Just go out there and figure those things out and kind of get a little more acclimated to, maybe you figure out you don't want to do this at all at this specific mm -hmm. time, but how the heck do you know until you try, right? Exactly, you won't know until you try. Yeah, I think it's, so the thing that you also said that I thought was really interesting when you were talking about kind of just getting going and how there is this access, I do think that one of the things that we do as a society, guys and gals together, we'll, we'll look at, um, we'll look at a situation, something that we, we kind of have an inkling to maybe want to go do, but immediately kind of have this thought of, yeah, but there's probably a bunch of people out there that are already doing it and that are just better at it than me. So why try? And I have to believe that, and, I, and we'll, we're going to transition and talk Grio baby here in a sec, but like you, although you're doing, y'all are doing something very unique. I really do think you probably could have made the same argument that like, yeah, you know, there's a lot, it's very competitive in this space, right? So mm -hmm. why would I go do this thing? What, what do you, like, what was the thing that allowed you to say virtually, I don't care. This is still something I believe <clears throat> in and I'm just going to do it anyways. Funny enough, the experience of working in the oil and gas industry for 10 years um, and then moving on to a different company that focused on oil and gas data. Um, when you work in corporate America for such a long period of time, you start to see uh, the bureaucracy, yeah. you start to see the middlemen. Um, there were just a lot of things that I saw in which 
people that were being promoted or highlighted, it wasn't a direct indication of their skill set. A lot of times it was who they know, uh, networking, seniority. And then when I started going out to these, you know, founder meetups and whatnot, I was in the beginning, the oldest person. A lot of times I was the only female. Most of the times I was the only woman of color, but I did start to notice a lot of the gaps in these younger founders. The life experience wasn't there. And instead of intimidating it, instead of it intimidating me, it actually made me more confident. Cause like, yeah, I really do have something to share. I really do have a voice. And you know, what I deem to be missing on the market, I know other people feel the same way. And just because, you know, there's a thousand different products there, it doesn't mean that there were a thousand different products designed for a thousand different people. It's just, you know, what, a few people at the top that, you know, create all these things and make all these decisions. And then when you have the opportunity to work with these people, you're like, hmm, you're not that intimidating or that scary. And if you can do it, I can too. And this is, this is the thing. I mean, whoever's listening around has to hear this. Like this is those gaps are incredibly important. You have no idea what those are until you go there. Even yes. big companies. I mean, Blockbuster isn't a thing anymore because Netflix went to a coffee chat and was like, yo, y'all are not even taking care of the internet. Like I'm going to go stream while y'all are not. Now they're out of business. Like it's exactly. not even small fish. It's the big fish that mess this up all the time. And we sit Especially there like, oh. the big fish. I, and I, I want to let's reemphasize that especially the big fish don't think that because you know you're working at this large company or there's millions or billions of dollars behind it that they know what they're doing no they can't move as fast as an individual or a smaller company they the processes that are in place prevent you know rapid innovation there are so many things that a, a small entrepreneur can do that big businesses can't do. And I, I think big business businesses are starting to realize that I have to be honest. Um, but as far as speaking to the people, I, I just don't think, you know, the large, the larger industry players are able to do it as well, in my opinion, but I could no, be biased. I, I think that's almost a dang near fact. I mean, that's mm -hmm. right. I think that you find that folks are and you're right, big business is acknowledging that. There's been this really interesting self-awareness that I've seen kind of arise in corporate America to the point where they're like, okay, Dara, look, we actually can't do it as good as you are. So be get to this point and then we'll buy you and just kind of like make you, you know, I'm not saying this. Yes. They'll say, we know we can't move. It's like a big ship who decided that having a bunch of little speedboats around them is a good idea. Yes. Like, okay, just be a really good speedboat. When you become a little bit of a bigger speedboat, we'll bring you onto our fleet. And you just keep being the speedboat because as soon as we bring you in, they're learning that if we bring you into bureaucracy, we will kill you. And yes. so, that good idea will go down the drain. A lot of big brands, um, you know, is are a lot of big brands. Actually, when my, my wife worked at L'Oreal, one of the things she used to say, she used to point out brands I had no idea was their brand. And she goes, it's mm. on purpose. They actually want to keep it apart and away from them. And actually, in a lot of ways, they have their own. They don't even fall under the major corporate structure because it's actually much more successful outside of that, right? And yep. so it's very incredibly, I mean, I think, and that goes full circle back to what you were talking about. We immediately eliminate ourselves because we have this perception of how the world works. I just yes. got to remind people it's humans. It's humans running things. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you know, Procter and Gamble is still probably stressing out about the barbecue tonight because he didn't buy the meat on time. Like it's all yeah. human problems. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree.
I dig it. Okay, so let's, you know, we're, I'm really excited to talk about Grio Baby. I want to, I want, give us a kind of, um, give us just kind of an overview of what it is and then how did you come to it? Because I know it wasn't a straight line path to just mm-hmm. coming up with where you're at today. So Grio is a brand of baby products and our goal is to turn these products into parenting devices. We are using research-based design, uh, you know, modern day lifestyles to really create these innovative, these innovative um, elevated infant essentials that not only address your baby's needs, but address your needs as a modern day caretaker. Uh, Our first solution is to completely overhaul the one size fits all baby bottle. And we chose that because the infant feeding routine is truly one of the greatest adventures in early parenting. Uh, Many times I found myself saying, this is so much harder than the labor and delivery process, because at least that's (laughs) over with. But, you know, over a year of, you know, like pumping and breastfeeding and making bottles and, you know, the monthly weight check-ins with the pediatrician, I mean, it all comes down to making sure baby gains weight. Um, I, there was a period of time that I looked down at the bottle and thought to myself, this thing is in my hand more than my phone. And that's a pretty profound statement, (laughs) you know, yeah, for somebody living in today's age, right? So we just thought we can make this so much better. Um, Lydia, like I said, she's a chemical engineering professor and she is a leading research in researcher in epigenetics and epigenetics essentially is just the study of environmental inputs what you hear, what you breathe, what you smell, what you see, how all of these things, when they're early in life, they have a fundamental cellular impact on the being. So if you, you know, expose these children to early positive growing experiences, you can fundamentally change, you know, their aptitude, their learning aptitude later in life. So you start to see all of these things with new products that are on the market, like Love Every, it's a Montessori-based play kit, you know, all these engaging toys. But back to the fact that Lydia and I were very busy, we don't have time. (laughs) Feeding a baby takes five to seven hours on average a day. And, you know, every single spare moment we had, we had to elevate it. We didn't have time to say, okay, now we fed the baby and now we can play with it. Like it all has to happen at once. So what we created was a modular uh, baby bottle system that uses these rotating interchangeable bases to enhance sensory experiences. Uh, For example, the sense of smell is one of the first things to develop in infants. They actually start that while in the womb. They recognize mothers by breathing in the amniotic fluid. So when they're born, they are naturally pre-designed to smell and recognize their mother. So we, one of our systems captures maternal odor using a soft fabric cloth and placing it in the base. And it has this great physiological response. It soothes and calms the baby. But most importantly, as your baby is soothing calm, you can hand it over to your partner or to your mother-in-law or to the nanny. So, you know, the support system that I was talking about, the all hands on deck, it can start now, not at two or three when the baby's talking and they're much more easier to deal with. You can start developing that relationship now. 
and <laughs> giving this primary caretaker a break. Um, so yeah, we designed bases or these systems, I guess I should say, that enhances uh, visual storytelling. It helps to develop communication, early language development, as far uh, as well as uh, the system that encourages gross motor development. We have these tactile bases that encourage reaching and exploration. Wow. Yeah. But the great thing, again, is all of it is designed to be done while you're feeding your child. Um, it, it comes back to the whole experience that Lydia and I connect with. We are mothers. We are professionals. We have a ton of obligations, but that time is just as important to us as anybody else. Um, so where's our Swiss Army knife? And that's what we're creating. Swiss Army knives for caretakers, right? <laughs> that, that's our goal with Grio. Oh my goodness. So yeah, this is a one, you, the, the, the cloth is we're having the mom sent on there. Like everybody mm -hmm. gets to benefit now from the baby's chill factor as you're kind of like yes. passing him or her around. I mean, that's amazing. Right. But y'all created basically the train. I mean, this is an I'm, product I'm sure of many that will start, but like you've basically created this opportunity for actually intimate multitasking, right? Which yes. doesn't happen, right? When you're multitasking, you should disengage, right? Like, oh yeah, I'm hanging out eating dinner with my spouse. And it sounds bad. And checking the email. You're not really having dinner with them. You're just eating at the table together. But this, in this case, is something where they're feeding. You're taking advantage of the time that you have to feed them. And also they're actually getting, you both are getting something that's really stimulating from the experience. I love that intimate multitasking. That may be our tag. So, you. <laughs> 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 so you, know, um, you are absolutely right. Intimate multitasking, because I don't know anyone, whether you're a stay at home mom, if you are a new parent, there is a lot of stuff going on around you. Um, so getting, uh, really being accepting of that fact, you know, first and foremost, I feel like sometimes yeah. our society is really hard on people who have a million things to do, but even though everybody has a million things to do, um, you know, especially as it, when it comes to being a new mom, um, but leaning into that and also leaning into the new family dynamic, right? Um, not everybody has a mom, right? There are gay dads, there are single moms, there are single dads, there are people who live with their grandparents. Um, so creating an infant essential that can be used by many caretakers was very important to us as well. Yeah, this is great. So what is the, what are the, what's the, if, the, if you have to kind of fast forward, um, and I don't believe in jinx, so I'm just going to ask you, like, okay. if you had to fast forward like five years from now, like what's Grio Baby doing for the world other than making those interactions really intimate? I mean, more intimate, I guess, mm -hmm, than they already mm -hmm. are. Like what's kind of the grand vision behind the company? Oh man, well, without getting into too much detail, I would yeah. say our grand vision is to apply more, um, more biomedical applications to these innovations. Like I said, Lydia, she is a chemical engineer and her focus is creating um, organic material. So for instance, she can create antimicrobial nanoparticles, nanoparticles, sorry, from naturally reoccurring bacteria rather than these like, you know, really, harsh chemically made uh, nanoparticles that are on the market now. So really just applying clean biomedical solutions to our products, I, I that would be just a goal, truly, for someone to say, this helped me parent. Not only did it help my child, 
it helped me become a better parent. That is hands down the goal. I dig it. And so when you, um, I mean, this kind of stuff is not, it, what's really interesting, I think, just generationally what's going on. I mean, you think about kind of the mainstay generation right now and the millennial generation, <clears throat> you have a lot more just awareness of how this stuff really can benefit. Uh, yeah. And I'm by no means of saying that the boomers or the, you know, the generations beforehand weren't educated on this kind of stuff. But I do believe that, you know, the appetite for not only the science behind it, but also the fact that there are really, um, fun ways to be able to interact with this kind of stuff that just seems, mm -hmm. I don't know. I remember hearing about like when formula was like a, you know, people, you know, I'm sure that growing up folks had talked about formula and it seemed extremely, I don't know, just something about it just seemed a little, not taboo, but just kind of removed. Like yeah. oh, okay, that baby's on formula. It kind of had a weird connotation personally, but now I feel that generationally anyways, for what y'all are doing, there has to be, I mean, you all got to believe that you're kind of riding the momentum of just the sentiments with people that are out there too, right? Absolutely. And I think it goes back to our conversation earlier about how you can see the gap as an individual. When we jumped into the market research regarding all of uh, the products in the baby market industry, uh, it was clear as day that mothers weren't designing this. It was clear as day. Mm. It seemed as if the mothers were in the marketing department because they were using all the great key terms and the whatever, but as far as the actual solutions, um, it, it felt very big business. Uh, so being able, again, to just remove any fear or shame or feeling that you can't keep up or you don't know anything and just leaning in to your individual experience, I, that is the most valuable thing that you can do, hands down. Trust in yourself. Trust that you have a voice. Well, I think with that, like, do your, do you feel? I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. <laughs> do you feel that you're in the best position, Dara, the person, to make this thing sail? I mean, you got to be the best person for the job right now. Um, you know, I will say this. I will say that my belief in Grio is stronger than people's doubts, and that's enough for me. I dig it. Yeah. How do you, um, okay. Grio, I didn't even ask this at the beginning. What does it mean? So the name, it's a name I've never heard before in my life. Oh yeah. So Grio is actually taken from the term Grio, uh, spelled G R I O T. It is a West African storyteller. So this is for the Grio, that's how they pass on cultural traditions to future generations through poetry, uh, through singing. They were master orators and considered advisors, uh, the guides to your society, right? And that's kind of how we see parenting, or that's how Lydia and I saw parenting. I mean, you know, like I said, you know, just constantly giving Ari pieces of advice and telling him stories. I mean, I want my voice to be <laughs> the focus of his like instinct because I know you best. Like I want you to develop your voice and like really lean into it. But it's through me and Chuma, my husband, like constantly like reinforcing it through stories and, and, and just really being his guide and not relying on the world or his school to be it. Like we're your guides and we're gonna you know, teach you as much as we can. And you're gonna take as much from your you know, education and whatever and combine it to be a full person. 
but in the beginning, like we got you. I mean, the name is just, I don't think you could have did anything else after you said yeah. that. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm just going to go. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it was perfect. It literally fit right. Exactly. Like mm -hmm. a puzzle piece. So what's kind of the next exciting thing? Like what, what are y'all specifically on the business side, you know, doing on Grio? Like what's the next big chapter that's in front of y'all? Oh uh, man. So right now we're in manufacturing. We are getting ready to launch our pre-order campaign in November. Um, yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of exciting things going on, but right now just launching our pilot and getting people's feedback and wondering if they love it as much as we love making it. Is that, so is that kind of for y'all that next chapter, the, the idea of at least success and satisfaction would be really just getting the feedback from just mothers and fathers around on how they feel about the product and how y'all can improve it or how y'all can tweak it or what is kind of the goal there? Absolutely. It's exactly what you were saying. Um, so there's two big things that we have coming up. The pre-order launch is one of them. Another is a partnership with Hand to Hold. They are the largest NICU organization here in Texas. And we are collaborating with them and just talking about you know common feeding issues that NICU babies typically undergo and how it overlaps with babies who don't necessarily go through the NICU, just kind of helping to get that unique parenting message out. Through this organization, we can also test our bottles on these graduating NICU families. So getting their direct feedback to validate our product is going to be huge. Um, so that combined with the pre-order campaign, that's really all we can focus on <laughs> right now, uh, between now and the end of the year. This is great. So if anybody yeah. wanted to like, for those out there, they're like, man, Grio baby, that's for me. I want to follow y'all's journey and yeah. also definitely getting in on that pre-order. Like, how are they finding y'all? Like, what's the best way to keep track of you and Lydia and the team? Uh, wonderful. So the first thing you can do, you can follow us on Instagram at Grio baby. Uh, our pre-order page is going to launch in late October. So you can keep checking back at griobaby.com. Or you can just send me an email and ask about it. We, as you know, entrepreneurs, we love talking about what we're doing and our yes, solutions. So if you just want to talk about anything I said, just email me at dara at griobaby.com. This is awesome, Dara. So I know we're coming up on time. I know that Grio is going to be a, a success and I can't wait to see it in the flesh in real life. But just, and we talked about so many awesome things today. So any parting just... Dara wisdom that you want to say, Hey, look, I, about any of the things that we talked about for me, the thing that comes to me is, you know, how people either jumpstarting themselves, especially mothers out there who are feeling, you know, like they're in this spot where they're trying to decide, like, I, I got a really decisive moment. Maybe need to make a call or just get moving, whatever it might be, or entrepreneurs alike, mm -hmm. whatever, what are the kind of last pieces of wisdom out there that you have that you just kind of want to let folks know about that, you know, might get them moving in their lives. Specifically, I would say my advice is for new moms. You make the time for the things that are important to you. Don't expect it to just fall into place. You have to fight for that actively. And then the second thing is it is never too late. Your experience, whether it's negative, whether it was negative or all positive, it is a learning experience and you can apply it to what you want to do or what you may want to do in the future. Um, so it's never too late and <laughs> always make time for the things that are important to you. Um, you're going to get a lot of unsolicited advice, a lot of people giving their opinions. Nobody knows your family, but you, nobody knows your household, but you, 
So I think just you'll be okay if you just kind of focus on those things, uh, especially for new moms. It's really tough. You get a lot of noise and, you know, outside interference and you're, you're just trying to heal <laughs> mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, just stay focused. You know what's best for you. Trust your gut, right? You trust your gut. Trust your gut. Trust your gut. Well, mm -hmm. on that note, Dara, this has been an absolute pleasure just speaking with you today. I'm excited about Grio baby. I'm excited about your journey. And I know Thank that you. the person that you two, both you and Lydia behind this thing, we're going to see you do some great things here in the future. So really, again, thanks for being on today. I know that a ton of folks got a lot out of this and wish you all the best. Thank you so much. And next time we'll meet in person and <laughs> we'll have an even longer show. This is fun. I know we can go all day on this. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. This is the Professionally Offensive Podcast. You can catch us on all platforms. JC out.